This podcast is presented by The Ed Narrative, a place for reflective discourse on education. Visit theednarrative.com to subscribe to this podcast or our blog. You can also find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher. And please, leave a review to help us grow this community of educators. Welcome to episode 15 of the Ed Narrative Podcast. My name is Darren Ralston, and I'm the producer. This time around, we'll be talking with Dr. Bernard Hairston, who is the chief of the Office of Community Engagement in Albemarle County Public Schools. And I wanted to specifically talk to Dr. Hairston because the last couple years, he's been working to build up an equity team. And this year, it's looking like things are really starting to come together. So I wanted to get a little bit more information about the process that he's been through and the process that uh, they need to continue in order to move ahead. Uh, You'll find that Dr. Hairston is a very passionate man about his work, which is to his credit because it is important work. So without any further ado, why don't we go ahead and get started on the conversation? Here we go. So can you maybe give me a little bit of your background, kind of how you ended up into this field and this work that you're doing now? Wow, we're talking about a long story here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been uh, an educator, a lifelong educator, starting out as a teacher in Stafford County Public Schools um, and taught there for four and a half years. Had the honor of being recognized as a teacher of the year, one of my oh, cool. most distinguished honors. That's appreciated. Yeah. Uh, recruited out of the classroom to work with the Virginia Department of Education to run a student organization, which really inspired a lot of my work uh, in terms of just valuing uh, empowerment of students. From there, I moved to Virginia Tech to work on my doctorate degree in okay. education. I did some training in uh, strategic planning, vocational technical education, education administration, uh, college student personnel services at the university level, end up um, working in Roanoke uh, at a comprehensive high school, Patrick Henry High School, with 1,800 Mm -hmm. students. I was one of five deans of a campus-style school, had over 450 students, 30 teachers that I had to be responsible for in a campus-style environment. And then ended up in Abmar uh, as an associate principal, uh, an acting principal at Western Abmar High School. Okay. From there yeah, to Burley Middle School. I taught at Western for a while. Yeah. yeah. There to Burley Middle School, uh, uh, nine years, and then uh, in central office for the last 13, 14 years. Mm-hmm. But I must say the work at Burley Middle School uh, really inspired the work that we're doing right now, in addition to just the lifelong experiences that I've had as an educator. But I, I do recall um, my um, um, years of experience at Burley. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I started in 1997, and the work was about achievement gaps. Right. And is, that, we were, is that in regard to SOLs? As oh, they were oh, oh yeah, that up? was that was yeah. just the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And so I do recall that there were five middle schools in Almore County at the time, and Burley scores were, we were like, the, the fourth out of five. And I'm proud to say that uh, with some of the emphasis of work that we placed on teacher accountability, just being consistent with the message that we, we have to hold ourselves accountable for high expectations of working with all students to measure the outcome of the work that we're expected to do 
and we celebrate the achievements uh, that we have as educators that's directly associated with student learning. Mm -hmm. First and foremost, as educators, that should be our ultimate goal, and we should not deviate from that. And so when I boast, and that's exactly what I'm doing, mm -hmm. right. boast on the work that we did at Burley Middle School from taking a school who was fourth out of five schools in the middle school in terms of achievement of students to pushing them up to one and two across the board because of consistency and simplicity in how you work with students and teachers having high expectations and connecting dots that end up with we have to focus on student results, student results, student results. Let's not talk about what we're going to do unless we talk about what we're going to measure. Okay. And so that leads into the work that we're currently doing um, with uh, Central Office. When I came on board in this role as Executive Director of Community Engagement, mm -hmm. my work was to connect it with community engagement and strategic planning. And at the time, the division had five goals. Mm -hmm. And so I had a great deal of flexibility in determining the significance of the work that I was hired to do mm -hmm. because it was a new position. Right. And so I focused on what I considered the weakest links in the school division based on those five goals. The first one was eliminating the achievement gap. Mm -hmm. Not decreasing the achievement gap, Just but- Wiping a, it out. Oh yeah, yeah, eliminating the achievement gap. And the second one that I focused on was the recruitment and retention of a cadre of uh, diverse teachers. Mm -hmm. And so much of the work that I've done over the last several years has been around those goals. So the focus of this conversation today is about um, the equity initiative right. that has been established over time through our diversity resource teacher model mm -hmm. that, in my opinion, is the most important work that's happening in the school division to address opportunity and achievement gaps. Yeah, no, it's, uh, that's, thank you. That's, a, that's definitely covering a lot of breadth. And I heard one thing that you'd said, and we'll get back to the DRT, uh, the diversity resource model in a second, but you said that Burley was transformative to you. And I know that you'd mentioned getting the scores and closing the achievement gap, but was there something else there that really kind of drove you and, and changed your sort of perspective to point you maybe a little more towards where you are now about Burley? So uh, when we talk about culture as it relates to what we consider the Albemarle County model, much of that model is based on my culture in becoming an educator. So okay. the culture at Burley during my tenure there was based on a lot of the experiences that I had growing up in a mm -hmm. elementary school mm -hmm. uh, with all black teachers. Mm -hmm. And there was this focus on students first, the humanistic okay. part of what we do. At, at, at your elementary at Elementary, okay. elementary, mm -hmm. and then attending an all black high school with a very similar emphasis, and then moved to uh, one of like six students to an all white high school to integrate that school. Mm -hmm. And then attending a HBC, historically black college and university, mm -hmm. through an education program, where again, the focus was on the humanistic part of teaching and learning, not necessarily the content first and foremost, but you have to focus on that student first to get your maximum outcomes. So the model that we have that uh, we emphasize at Burley mm -hmm. and the model uh, that we will talk about a little bit later on right. with a culturally responsive teaching model right. is driven by placing the human right in the center of everything that we do, which is somewhat different from how we are trained as educators, some of us, and that right. is the content is in the center. Mm -hmm. And so my training, my culture, my understanding as an educator 
my background is about that human being placed right in the center. And if you can't connect with that human and we talk about relationships as a part of our mission and our, right. our if you cannot establish relationships with that student, you're not going to get the rigor that we expect and you're not going to get the outcome. So, you know, this whole model of culturally responsive teaching is really driven based on what I have experienced as an educator. And so it's taken you would a, say that you you experienced that culturally responsive approach in your oh, absolutely. education? Oh, oh okay. absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's taken me a while to realize, uh -huh. you know, why I do what I do. But unpacking this whole model that we've designed around mm -hmm. culture responsive teaching has helped me understand um, what drives my philosophy in terms of the way that I go about working with teachers, the way we go about having conversations of how we have built this culture responsive teaching model that's homegrown and very, very unique to any other division that I'm aware of nationally. And it's been developed by teachers and staff here in Albemarle County Public Schools. That's absolutely getting results. Yeah. So when you started to sort of see that connection from your own experience as a student, when you think about like some of those moments where it started feeling familiar to you, maybe as you started reading up on culturally responsive teaching methods, you were in courses that were on it, were you starting to go, wait a minute, this was what I experienced? Or how, where did you start linking into the familiarity? Okay, that connection in terms of you know, um, decisions that I currently make mm -hmm. has been teased out through conversations, through the developmental model that we've created mm -hmm. uh, with our CRT model where it's okay to have this level of vulnerability to say that, you know, I have some biases, mm -hmm. I have some issues, and, and unless I work with those issues, I'm going to keep on doing the same old stuff that right. I've been doing. Yeah. And so uh, to answer your question specifically, um, my weaknesses have been realized through developing this model that it's important to have conversations about understanding the root cause of why you do A, B, and C. Okay, all right. Well, I like the, the vulnerability thing that you say because that is something that I think historically, you know, you're talking about a content-centric system, right? And now going over to a humanistic system. When you look at the idea of vulnerability, in the content-centric system, one of the biggest fears is to look like you don't know what you're talking about, right? And if you're looking also at that, um, that idea of the teacher as, you know, kind of the ruler of the room, to look like you're questioning your own motives could be problematic. Does so, that sound so right? It, or, it, it sounds right in terms of a conceptual understanding of how we're supposed to go about doing business. Mm -hmm. That's why we've created this model that we focus on the humanistic side. So if you focus on the content side and the way that I have idealized uh, the improvements that we need to make in terms of reaching all students is that when we just focus on that content of, of doing business, there's a contradiction in... Um, some of the designs that we have in place mm -hmm. in terms of uh, monitor and adjust based on the students that are sitting in front of you, mm -hmm. um, based on let's individualize content, let's personalize the way that we teach each and every student. You know, we are trained to teach to the whole group, mm -hmm. but it's truly a contradiction when you say that my content is first and foremost 
the focus of everything that we do mm-hmm. without really taking the time to dig deep into understanding how each and every student can maximize their learning based on our understanding of who they are as students. Right, right. If you think of like just putting the, you know, you're just throwing out the curriculum and saying, here, you learn this thing as I just told you, right? That's the that's the first part. But then the other part, talking about the personalization of it, I think what it sounds like you're saying is you're considering how that content interacts with that individual. Is and so, a- absolutely. So, so yeah. this is the challenge for us as educators. And it, and it starts with who you surround yourself with in your school if you are an administrator. And okay. that begins with the hiring process. So you have to hire someone with strong content background, okay? Mm-hmm. You also have to hire someone who has that desire to work with all students mm-hmm. and appreciate the differences that students bring into the table. And they're willing to plan plan, plan, adjust your plans, evaluate and monitor your planning on a Mm -hmm. consistent basis and not be lazy about it. So the university that I mentioned being an education university, Mm -hmm. a great deal of emphasis was placed on lesson planning. Right. But you just don't plan just to plan. Right. Okay. You plan for outcomes and you track the results that you're getting based on what you're planning. If you have a gap in that, you're going to have deficiencies. So when we talk about this culture responsive teaching model that we have, mm-hmm. it's about planning. Okay. It's about establishing a hypothesis of what you know about the students sitting in front of you, testing that hypothesis, somewhat shifting teaching from an art to a science. Mm-hmm. If you're one of my students and I say, and I see you, you know, not mm-hmm. focusing, you know, you're, you're, you're daydreaming a yeah. lot, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm going to make some assumptions about you, okay? Whatever those assumptions are, I'm not being a good teacher based on my theory of how we should be going about making connections if I don't test that assumption that I have about you that you're daydreaming, right. okay? Because that could be your way of processing information, mm-hmm. and you may be a slow processor. So if I don't take the time to understand how you learn as an individual student, I run the risk of failing how I maximize your learning experience as a student. Yeah. So I mean it sounds a lot like that idea of writing off someone as oh he's a daydreamer. Absolutely. And just leaving it at that instead absolutely. of trying to go and absolutely. delve if he's a daydreamer, how can I help him turn that to his advantage? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So we have such a difficult job as educators <laughs> because that's yeah, just only yeah. one part of making an assumption about how that student is as a learner. But we also have these biases when that student will walk into the room and we stick to those biases unless we test them. And we can only test them if we establish a relationship with them. You know, if I have a student who's going to walk into my classroom with his hat all sideways and his pants halfway off his behind, I have a bias against that student. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, how can I test that bias? The bias might say that he's a troublemaker. The bias mm-hmm. might say that he's an unintelligent person. How do I test that? And so when I test that, it, it's also forcing me to take a look at so you have I to am. do some reflection on your oh, own. Oh, absolutely. So, ha- so you did have that situation. Do you have an idea what you might do to try and start teasing out that student so you can see him less as a stereotype and more as an individual? So, so now we're getting into the Albemarle County Culture Responsive Teaching Model okay, that we've let's designed. Into okay? it. Go for and it. so that's part of one of the three characteristics that we've personalized for Albemarle County Public Schools. Personalized meaning that we haven't followed any other, other model. We haven't gone out and say that we, we've done this research and this is a great research model mm-hmm. and we're paying $100,000 to bring it in so that we can duplicate right, right, right. it. There is no 
package. When we present <laughs> our model, yeah. everyone is asking, well, give us the package. Teaching is not about a package. We mm. have to get out of that mindset because we're going to truly individualize how we work with all students. It's got to be individualization. It's yeah, got to be yeah. sitting in front of that student, you know, and creating what works for that particular student. Yeah, that when I talked with uh, Zaretta Hammond, I, I talked with her on the podcast, and she uh, she basically had the same frustration, you know, when she was asked, well, how do I, how do, what's the strategy here? What do I do to make this work? And it's like, you know, trying to get the easy peasy, lemon squeezy mm -hmm. version of this thing so we can just move on and do it, right? But it's a lot more sweat and emotion. Intellectual challenge for us mm -hmm. as educators. So that first characteristic is about um, understanding the background and experiences that you bring to the table as an, as an educator based on your culture, and then taking the time to unpack um, the students' background and experiences, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. Culture. The second characteristic is about um, understanding the connection with what you know about yourself and your students and the content that you're teaching. And the third characteristic is about engaging the family, you know, creating a true partnership with the family whereby you are understanding their beliefs and values and then use it, utilizing what you know about them to make the content more relevant mm -hmm. with characteristic number two. Now, this is the challenge that we have with that third characteristic. We focus on what we call that shallow piece of understanding family and not take the time to dig deep into the strong belief systems that drive why we as mm -hmm. families connect or not connect. So, for example, digging deep, okay, mm -hmm. into understanding a family belief. Right. You know, you may take some time to talk to a parent and say, well, tell me about how you discipline your children. Right. And in many cases, it's totally different from you as, um, and I'm being biased here, right. a white middle class <coughs> male mm -hmm. may experience discipline. Mm -hmm. But definitely our white middle class value school system, but unless we take the time to dig deep into those tough questions about beliefs, values of families, then we don't know whether or not we're hitting a home run mm -hmm. or we're walking that, that student or striking them out because we're not making that connection. So those are the three characteristics. Okay, right. It sounds to me like you need to look at each of the individual students in your classroom as having a network around them, not just somebody who's been dropped from outer space into your room. I, I think that you're getting mm -hmm. the picture mm -hmm. because, you know, truly uh, those teachers who take the time to understand the model that we've designed, there are, you can look at students as individuals, but it's difficult if you're a high school teacher and you have 75 to 100 students. Yeah, so then you hard. have to figure out <laughs> how we group students based on their cultural links. So some students are individual learners and then some students based on their culture learn through a social mm -hmm. sort of setting. Right. So you have to constantly do assessments in terms of where students fall based on what you're even teaching. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of organize them um, uh, so that they can maximize their learning experience. Right. So you take the time to say this student is a, a collectivist learner. They learn by, you know, socializing. You give them right. assignments that connect with them. And then there are students who are like, you know, I want to be by myself. I'm going to challenge myself. And, and then you, you know, create opportunities for that. So that's that flexibility part. That's that we can't operate based on a package. Right, yeah. So all of this in mind now that we've talked about it. So we said we were going to get back to the DRT model. 
you've, you've talked about some of the philosophy behind the way that culturally responsive teaching works, some of the ideas with uh, developmental work and, and getting students under the umbrella together, right? So how do you use that to kind of guide the work of, say, the uh, diversity resource program? And, and the equity work that, that you're doing. So how do you implement that to try and guide it? I know that's a big question. Well, uh, actually, um, the work that we've done has been progressive okay. since like 2009, where you know the focus was on let's have conversations you mm-hmm. know, about diversity, you know, that soft Kind of the baby stuff. steps. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there was a um, resource utilization study done in the school division, which eliminated the um, full-time equity um, position that we had that mm-hmm. led the work about courageous conversations mm-hmm. and so I lost that position so when you are in a role where you have to uh, continue doing the work but you lose staff you have to think about how do I maximize based on my right how um, do you reconfigure yeah, the, and, yeah. to make the mission yeah how, how do you how do you continue to do the work and so I picked up the work mm-hmm. and so I had to think about what my strengths are and as a building level administrator, I consider one of my strengths being an instructional leader. Mm-hmm. So we shifted from having courageous conversations to the CRT model where culturally responsive teaching is about getting results through an instructional methodology. Mm-hmm. Thus, the uh, restructuring of a diversity resource teacher model where the model didn't change where we had a diversity teacher from every school but the shift in terms of the expectation for their role shifted mm-hmm. from being a conversationist about being comfortable talking about race and yeah. ethnicity and yeah. you know all those things that sometimes we're uncomfortable with mm-hmm. to actually looking at how we can use culture to impact student learning. So the work that we're currently doing is about PD, professional development around culture responsive teaching mm-hmm. The way that we have designed the CRT model for Albemarle County Public Schools now, this is the most important piece. And as an educator, you know we do a lot of professional development. We spend an inordinate amount of money attending all these conferences. We sit there and we have these wonderful ideals doing that conference. And we're going to say we're going to go back and we're going to do this, that, and the other. How much much of it do we really do? Not much. Right? Not very much. Yeah. So the emphasis on our work through PD is transfer to practice. Mm-hmm. Okay? Don't waste my money. Don't waste my time if I'm going to do a PD training. Okay. If you're not going to do anything with it when you go back into your classroom. Mm-hmm. So accountability, accountability, accountability. And that's what we've been focusing on over the last two years. Uh, last year, we offered um, at least o- over 600 of our educators went through professional development training. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will continue to say, you need to be able to apply what you have learned through training that you get. So the DRT model mm-hmm. is designed to um, uh, transfer PD to practice. So we have these monthly meetings, whereas mm-hmm. in the past we would do the conversations and stuff like that. And so now it's about what should occur relative to those three characteristics mm-hmm. in monthly meetings and then you go in and you practice. When we do like an all-day PD training on the three characteristics, it's about, so what? Yeah. Now what? So then like, what, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so how do we assist you and support you to transfer to PD 
into practice. And so that's evolved into a micro-credentialing model right. and a certification model. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> The micro-credentialing model is um, you're you know, unpacking those three characteristics, um, showing some evidence that you're doing some intentional things mm-hmm. to get student results. Okay, that's the micro, and that's just like scratching the surface. Right. This year was the first year of rolling out micro-credentialing. Mm-hmm. We had 13 teachers to go through the process, and it was a training process. You just yeah, don't just yeah. go through it and say, I get it. Right. But you go through the training of the three modulus, which could be um, an all-day session, or it could be three all-day sessions. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, opportunity for group dialogue to talk about what you understand. Mm-hmm. And then you go into your classroom and you test. And then you have another opportunity to talk about what's working and what's not working. But the most important piece is what's working and what's not working to individual students. Right. Okay. And so th- do you bring that back to talk about how it's working with the Oh, absolutely, absolutely, okay. absolutely, okay. absolutely. But the validation of the micro-credentialing is you have to document your steps of personal growth as an educator around those three characteristics. Mm-hmm. And we have created a rubric we have a created an assessment component. This year we had four assessors, okay, mm-hmm. who looked at this up to 10-page essay that documented the um, applicant's personal growth through the three characteristics mm-hmm. that's connected to some minor, minor, I mean minor uh, impact on student learning, mm-hmm. okay? And that's that first step to micro-credentialing. And then the next step through this whole process is certification as a culture-responsive educator. Right. And, I, and I say that with the micro-credentialing is the minor stuff. The, the certification is the micro-credentialing piece on steroids, okay? <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah. you get serious in terms of the intentionality that you have as a teacher to get to know what you're doing that's working and having an impact on student A, B, and C, okay? Right. So the micro-credentials, are they sort of steps towards the certification? Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. So it's pa- all absolutely. part and parcel of one thing. Absolutely. Okay, okay. So, so you're seeing a progression in terms mm-hmm. of the program that's been built over time. Now, this is the most important piece. This has not been Bernard Hairston's work in isolation. Right. This has been Bernard Hairston driving the bus and surrounding uh, myself with really, really strong, committed educators in this division who are willing to work outside of the box and not just create programs based on what they did, but create based on the need of the students sitting in front of us around the philosophy that culture is the humanistic part of the work that we do. Right, okay. So when you've got these people with their uh, certifications, do they end up, how how do they they function with the certification? What What is the next step for them? We work them. Okay, mm-hmm. we utilize their expertise because this work is hard. This whole concept that we yep. that we're doing well, is, is right. unique. Really so the certification piece we just completed our third year. Only four people in the school division met the certification the first year. Mm-hmm. We had about twelve to begin the process. Mm-hmm. It's a commitment to doing things totally different. It's a transformation in how you think and how you act as a teacher. Okay, the second year, another four, okay, mm-hmm. out of about 12, right. okay? Right. Uh, 12 who said, I want to do this, six who actually uh, went through the process and submitted an application, four of the six met the criteria mm-hmm. through the assessment component. Mm-hmm. This year, we had about 12 to make the commitment, nine to go through the process, and 100% of those 
folks met this rigorous criteria. That says that we are doing a better job in knowing what we need to do, preparing people to do it, and getting the results that we need and keeping those high expectations that we cannot continue to fail our students. And it sounds like you're starting to apply some of the concepts to the program as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. Because you are closing out. That, right. That so, gap. so those four people who went through the process the first year, okay, they have been training others. Mm-hmm. Okay, the four people who went through it the second. You're part of the team. You know, mm-hmm. you can't escape this work because it's so important. Because when you get it, you think it, you breathe it each and every day, and you want to be a part of the change process. So, with the micro credentialing this year, we had 13 folks to go through the process. Okay. Now, the plan is how do we get those 13 folks? to support other staff members in their schools as well to go through the certification process. So it's kind of a continuous growth process that's pretty consistent the way that we've built this model Mm -hmm. in terms of a slow, progressive, committed uh, way of change the way we go about doing business. Right. Well, it sounds like like you're developing, you know, what Zaretta Hammond was saying, the sparks, right? You've got your sparks coming up and you're able to now get them out to start spreading. Absolutely. So when you look at these teachers in the schools, what would their role now that they have gone through this training and they've changed their approach, how do they spread to the other teachers who maybe are either thinking about it or they're just like, what are you doing? You know, it's, it's. So you become a part of the Hairston team. Okay. (laughs) And you are leaders in this division and you're doing PD. Right. You can't run away from this work. So we so are, we are, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, the, yeah, okay. yeah, we're engaging them in PD sessions where, you know, because this, this model is so unique, so different, those who understand it, we have to keep them a part of the process, okay? Right. In addition, they are influencing their colleagues. They are leading book discussions. They are okay. explaining, this is what makes sense in terms of the model. This is what I've done they are promoting and selling the program. Because okay, that's kind of where I was going with it. I wanted to see, so how do you spread that yes, in the schools? Yeah. Once it, they're it's there? a capacity building model that's mm-hmm. saying that we're not mandating the work, okay? We, right. we want people to come on board because you are truly dedicated to working with each and every student, and we want you to talk to talk and walk to walk. If you talk to talk that every student is important to me, then you're going to figure out a way to reach every student. Right. And so we want people right. sitting around the table saying, oh, I am committed. And you have to understand that this work that we're doing is hard work. It's challenging. It hard work. Okay? It's really hard so, work. So this is the other deal. This year, through the certification process, um, when we had um, four administrators to go through the process. Oh, really? Okay. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Okay. Is that to, to, is that to, ongoing or did they complete? Oh yeah, they they com- they completed okay. the process for certification. Okay. Okay. And so the, the the model was designed for teachers, but this is the way I look at it: an administrator, a principal, an assistant principal, is a teacher. No separation right, in my right. mind. You become a teacher of teachers as an administrator. You can never get out of the responsibility of being a teacher, okay? And so we had um, a principal, an assistant principal of one school to go through the process. That school had um, nine teachers to go through the micro-credentialing and two to go through the certification process. That's the leadership that we're looking Mm -hmm. for from our school-based leaders. Now, this is what's great about that team. That team processed their data. And they looked at those nine teachers who went through the certification and those two 
those nine who went through the micro-credentialing and those two that went through the certification, and they're able to show the significant difference that those teachers had on student achievement versus others that didn't go through the so process. So they were tracking the way that it operated in the classroom then. Abs that's the whole intent yeah. of no, the I uniqueness mean, of the that. program. In it's this a day and age, I mean, you got to have something to show to get people to buy in. It's I, I, I mean, Darren, yeah. it's about talking the talk and walking the right. walk. If right. we say that all students matter, Mm -hmm. And we talk about that, you know, we are here to educate all students. We need to be accountable for what we're doing. And we have to readjust our mindset in terms of how we go about looking at every student. So, for example, mm -hmm. if you're a teacher in my school and I'm principal, I want to know where that student is day one in terms of their assessment when they walk into your classroom. And I want to know where they are day 180 because you as the teacher is the most influential person in that classroom to impact student learning. That's a shift that we have to make. Mm -hmm. The culture responsive teaching model is about owning who you are as a teacher relative to the achievement of students. Okay, yeah, well, I, and it sounds to me like having that administrative buy-in like that, where they're, they're on top of it, it lends more legitimacy to the program because the, the teachers see that this is something that's taken seriously here. Whereas if you have, and, and you know, the, I, I have, I don't want to sound like I'm diminishing it, but you know, if you've got a couple teachers who are bought in, but they don't have the administrator on board, then it's almost like you've got, hey, there's that teacher over there doing that different thing. And, and it's not quite woven into the fabric of the school as much as when you have the administrative backup. 100%. Yeah. You know, as a building level administrator, I didn't quite buy into the influence, the power of the administrator in terms of his or her ability really to impact the culture of the school. And so you take those two administrators that I just mentioned, mm -hmm. they committed a great deal of their planning mm -hmm. to professional development for their entire staff. They mm -hmm. did at least five days throughout the course of the year where they dedicated culture responsive teaching mm -hmm. PD mm -hmm. to their entire staff. But more importantly, they modeled the work. Right. And, and I'm, I'll say that as I've looked at the uh, pre-service items coming into this school year, I've seen a lot of, of CRT items on the, I mean, as a coach, I get to see a lot of different mm -hmm, mm -hmm. pre-service plans, and I've seen CRT on just about everything. Well, so. that's another danger that, you know, I'm okay. faced with as the person who's driving the bus, uh -huh. because, you know, as educators, we utilize buzzwords like we really know them, but we oh, don't take the time yeah. to unpack those buzzwords. Mm -hmm. If you sit in front of me, I don't want you to talk about culture responsive teaching unless you're talking about the and you're employed with Albemarle County Public Schools unless you're able to talk about the model that we created because our model is unique to what you're going to read and research. Okay. The other models that you are reading and research may not have the connection to uh, the personalization of the three characteristics that we've designed with the ultimate result of how do we justify what we're doing based on our, our goal of impacting student achievement? Mm -hmm. That's the Albemarle County model. So buzzword, uh, we should have culture responsive teaching. If you say that around me, then you might be tested in terms of what culture responsive teaching like, is. What do you mean and so, by so, that? so, so yeah. it concerns me that we're all saying we want culture responsive mm -hmm. teaching without really taking the time to be prepared. If you work without within our system to really back up 
and be open to change. So what role do you see your team playing in kind of putting that uh, that buzzword thing to rest and taking oh, it to the uh, real side of things? Uh, it, it's, it's happening each and every day. So I talked about four administrators that went through uh, the certification process, right. and I talked about two being in one school. We had an assistant principal who's now a principal at one school. Uh, that person is you know, doing her thing. She's taking some of the training, the experiences that she's having. Now she's leading a cultural change in her school. Mm-hmm. For example, opening a school, she's taking the TPA, teacher performance appraisal. Right, and right. there are some specific domains in that relative to culture. Mm-hmm. And she's helping her teachers unpack those domains relative to writing personal goals. That's the transfer. Okay. okay. We have another assistant principal who's transferred to um, a middle school from a high school. We're going to give support from my office in terms of focusing on how we build the capacity, the leadership capacity of those four administrators who went through the certification with concentrated efforts in their schools. So looking at the program and, and thinking ahead, you said this has been a long process. What's the end goal for you? I, I mean, I know I've gotten some hints of it from, you know, making sure you're getting to every student, closing the gaps. But as you're building this program up, how do you see it shaping? So the end goal? Mm-hmm. Okay. So <laughs> it's, it's pretty darn simple. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's unpacking and making a commitment to valuing things that we say and transferring it to empowering what we do. Looking at predictive values of who um, will fail and who will succeed mm-hmm. as a way of understanding equity. So we take that definition and we break it down. And we, if we apply it to our everyday experiences and we can predict which of our students are going to pass or fail, we're failing as a school system. So my work is about saying that we take a simple word like that, we unpack it, and we determine whether or not we're making a difference based on what we're doing each and every day. Mm-hmm. That's my goal. Okay. okay. That's my goal. Let's not just casually use terms such as culture or culture-responsive teaching, our responsive classroom, but we break it down to an understanding and we apply it and then we examine what sort of impact our day-to-day work is having on, on ourselves and individual students in the classroom. That's what my work is all about. When you, when you look at <clears throat> what we've talked about so far today, um, are there some things that you would like to address that I haven't brought up? You know, um, I just like to shift it. Okay. You're an educator in the school division. Mm-hmm. You tell me what you heard today and how this message that I've shared with you has had an impact on your change in how you go about thinking about your job as an educator. Okay. Um, really, I first came to the concept and, and the awareness of the work that your office has been doing and you've been leading um, probably about two years ago, I think. Um, I came into a couple sessions um, and, and learned a little bit about, you know, the, the issues around, you know, when you're talking about cultural issues in a classroom, like we had talked about the kid who had his hat turned sideways and all that. So, so that was, that was sort of my introduction to it. Um, and then I, um, last year I really started going more deep into it and learning about sort of what's meant by, 
um, responsive teaching, culturally responsive teaching. As a coach, I, I get to work with teachers. And one of the things that's done for me is it's allowed me to have a greater toolbox for when we're trying to work together on how the teacher is, you know, looking to improve. So, for example, um, and, and I had had Lars <clears throat> in one of my groups, and he, he works in with you guys and just uh, got a new position this year with you guys. Um, he, um, he introduced a couple things like, for example, uh, a chart where when you're observing, you can, um, you can say, okay, you called on this student, this student, this student, right? And so then you can bring that back to um, the teacher when you have the post observation and you can discuss, okay, so I saw this, uh, this response, but you didn't call on this student at all and he looked like he maybe knew what, what was going on and needed to, to respond, right? And so um, I think, and obviously this is a big question, so I'm trying to mm -hmm. encapsulate it in this answer, but I think as, as a coach, what I've come to from my exposure to your work and to, um, you know, the, the literature that's been out there and working with, you know, with Lars, who's been really deep in the, in the progress, too, for, for the program, um, is that I'm seeing that some of the issues that teachers think they're having are not the issues they are actually having and that I need to be able to use that information as a coach to try and tease those out so that if I do see it, I'll be like, well, so-and-so is not really a trouble causer. There's another thing going on here. So maybe we should have an, a conversation about what's going on about the way that you're addressing this group of students, right? So then it changes that dynamic from just, you know, like you were saying, just the content you know, you're going to get the sit and get this content and that the way it's presented is the way you get it. Right. So as a coach, I see that there's different tools now that I can employ into my conversations with teachers that will help um, me open up that conversation so that they have the opportunity to see some of the ways in which they can actually make a larger difference with their students without actually having to do all the content work directly that maybe it's actually something that's about changing perspective or examining relationships and so the reflective work that we do as coaches is, is pretty hugely part of part of that and it's changed the way that I, I have those reflective conversations may I offer um, just a response and yeah, a response. suggestion yeah. um, so as you talk about um, your um, perspective Mm -hmm. of the conversation from a coach's lens mm -hmm. and how it's allowed you to um, create different tools for teachers to mm -hmm. utilize. One thing that I have recognized that's um, an absolute in terms of a paradigm shift in mm -hmm. terms of moving um, the work along a little bit faster mm -hmm. is to shift the teacher mentality from this is what students need to do to this is what I need to do. Right. So um, I'm, I have observed when we have our large PD sessions, mm -hmm. and if you can imagine a room of 60 people, mm -hmm. five or six people sitting around the table, and there's an opportunity for 
uh, teachers to reflect on an issue such as what triggers you as a teacher? Oh, the triggers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what like bothers you as a teacher? Mm-hmm. And every time I observe, the, the teacher may come up with an example such as, oh man, when, when students uh, go get up and they go to the pencil sharpener and that noise of the sharpener or the student <laughs> movement yeah. just triggers me. And then so the other teachers sitting around the table will say, give advice such as, well, why don't you take like the last two minutes um, right before lunch and dedicate that time for all students to sharpen their pencils? Or why don't you wait to the end of the day to, uh, as their students are leaving and everybody's moving around in a sort of a casual Mm -hmm. sort of way to use that time? And so teachers will give those sort of responses. Uh And I'm going, stop. <laughs> yeah. Who's being triggered? Those 20 students in your classroom or you? Mm-hmm. Who should change? Why should you change the structure of your classroom that's going to impact 25 students rather than thinking about you in terms of that's your trigger. Own that trigger. Mm-hmm. Don't change the structure. Right, yeah. That's what we do over and over and over again. We think about what the students are doing wrong rather than what we might be doing to impact the student behavior. Mm -hmm. So many of the discipline issues that we have with young boys, it's primarily because of how that, some things that- The triggers. Yeah, that the teacher may have done Mm -hmm. that that student just, We'll just sit there and just take, and then all of a sudden it's like, can't take it any longer. Or they will shut down because right. of something that the student might interpret in terms of just a look, mm-hmm. body language. And so that's a part of the process that teachers really have to take some time to think about, what is it about me? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so as a coach, mm-hmm. you know, based on this conversation and you ask, what are we missing? And I bounced it back to you. Mm -hmm. Those are some things that we have to, as a collective leadership group in understanding the CRT model, Mm -hmm. really take time to understand what this model is all about. Right, right. I appreciate um, I appreciate your uh, your time. How how was it? Uh, are you feeling good with the uh, with the conversation we had? Or? It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about the students that we serve, and sometimes the work that we do may make people feel uncomfortable. That's true. I've okay. been to a couple of uh, PDs where it got uncomfortable. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. If we're here to serve students and we're not doing the job that we should be doing, we're not satisfied with. Um, um, how we are providing equity for all students, then maybe we need to feel uncomfortable. So it's not about me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just have to do things that we need to do, mm-hmm. not things that we want to do because it's going to make other adults feel comfortable. It's interesting that you say that because I'm thinking how often do the kids feel uncomfortable? But the sad part is what do we do to examine whether or not students are feeling uncomfortable right because this system is designed about around the teacher mm-hmm. and effective culture responsive teaching teachers will take the time to say and that's that part of being vulnerable mm-hmm. to say what's our true relationship okay 
talk to me, okay? I want to hear what you really feel. Is there something I did, Mm -hmm. okay, to get that look from you? Because I just observed a shift in something that you're thinking, and I just saw this blink in your eye that says that you don't appreciate what I did. Come on, just have an honest conversation. We're here as a team. i got to work with you. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's definitely right on target. Absolutely. This has been good. And um, once again, I do appreciate it. And uh, thanks a lot. So there we have it. That was Dr. Bernard Hairston. Um, I want to thank him again for the conversation. As you can tell, a very passionate man, just like I said. In fact, our conversation recalled to me a quote that I really love from Archimedes. And it goes like this. Give me a place to stand, and I shall move the world. So, uh, next time, we will be talking with Diane Sweeney and Julie Wright with Student Centered Coaching. I'll be going down to Richmond to catch them for a workshop. So, that'll be, that'll be really exciting. I'm looking forward to that. And if you would like to connect with us, uh, the Twitter handle for us is The Ed Narrative. And then, of course, we also have the website, theednarrative.com, where there is an email link. Uh, It would be great to hear from you all. So um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I'll catch you later. Bye.